Spiritual warfare, what is it exactly? Often, we recognize that we are in a spiritual battle, but it can be unclear how the enemy attacks or even how we gain victory. In this series, Pastor John Metter of Cross City Church shares insights into how best to prepare for and defeat the enemy. It's a war, but there is a clear winner. This is John Metter, and life is war. And hopefully you've been walking with us through this series, Life is War. And it's a spiritual warfare series that deals with so many different aspects of the spiritual battle. We've talked about how to be in a spiritual battle and not lose your way, the aim of the enemy, the armor of God, getting ready to rumble, um, knowing what prayer is for, winning the war of life, uh, standing firm in a tsunami of deception was the last thing that we talked about. Um, today, I want to talk about putting your shoes on. I want to talk about this part of standing firm uh, with the gospel shoes of peace. That's often a very confusing term for people. Um, and I want to just repeat what I've said earlier on, that until you know that life is war, you cannot know what, pri- what prayer is for. John Piper said that. And I'll also make another statement as I get into this, and I'm going to talk about the church of Jesus for just a little bit today. And uh, so I hope you're ready for that. It's, it's not just an individual battle that we're in. It's about the church of Jesus Christ as well. The church uh, represents the people of God. So Satan has always been waging war against the people of God. He doesn't have to really wage war against the world. The world's already given unto him and uh, is very susceptible to everything he leads them to believe or do. But the church of Jesus is different. We're distinct. We're a, an unusual group of people that follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He's our master and commander. So uh, today I'm going to talk about the church just a little bit when it comes to putting your shoes uh, on. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So let's talk about those shoes for just a few moments. I've identified those when I talked about the armor of God. But the gospel shoes move you forward. This is how we progress in life, by putting on on our feet the preparation of the gospel of peace, is the way the line reads. I view this as like putting on cleats before a football game. Now today, football games and wearing cleats in football games is a, is a very complicated subject. Uh, most professional sports teams have two or three sets of cleats based on what kind of turf they're going to be playing on. If it's an indoor turf, an astral turf kind of thing, or artificial turf, um, it's a lower cleat, uh, not quite as long, not quite as deep. If it's natural grass and and uh, maybe even damp or wet natural grass, the cleats just get increasingly longer. And uh, the whole idea is what does the player need in order to grip the surface that he's playing on in order to move forward. This is true of soccer, it's true of baseball, it's true of softball, it's true of uh, track, and it's also true of football. So there's there's all kinds of uh, sports that apply that, but putting on cleats before a game is really, really important. Choosing the right ones and putting them on is incredibly important. So it's the same for the Roman soldier that Paul is using as an example of this. Uh, so this is... The gospel shoes of peace is something that we need to be familiar with. And so let me just dispel what it's not. Putting on the shoes of peace is not about having personal peace in your life. It's not about you feeling peaceful. This is war he's talking about. Personal peace comes from your relationship with Jesus himself. In fact, Ephesians talks about that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. For he himself is our peace 
who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles, and, and this wall was broken down between the two of them with Christ. He brings us all together with him. So we have peace with God uh, in a war-torn world because of the blood of Jesus Christ. You have that. So when we talk about spiritual warfare, be careful about just looking for personal peace. We already have that with Jesus, spiritually speaking. So be careful about looking for personal peace when it comes to just living life. We've actually been called to a war. Now, I know there is that aspect of peace that says we have the peace of God that passes all understanding. And I know that that applies to all those challenging periods of our life. And I fully advocate that Christ can give us peace in the worst of times. No doubt about it. But we're not, we are not, as long as we're on earth, going to find a place of perpetual peace. Now, we will in heaven, but we won't on earth. And the reason that we won't on earth is because we're called to a battle. We're called to a war. We're in wartime context. Paul wrote to Timothy, pastoring the church at Ephesus, and said, Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about the shoes of the gospel of peace, we're talking about peace as a result of winning a war. A peace that can't be found until the war is waged. It's about the church marching forward, both knowing and sharing the gospel. It's about being prepared to share with anybody that's asking about the hope that's inside of us. Romans 10, 15 says, How would they preach unless they're sent, just as it's written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Now, at this point, some people are going to want to tune me out because... We don't like sharing the gospel sometimes, especially in a hostile culture. We're uncomfortable with it. And some of, some of you are going to try to tune me out because you're going to say, uh, this is not about me and my personal battle. But I'm telling you, you're called to walk with a commander-in-chief who is Jesus Christ. And the only way to win this war is to emphasize the gospel in your life and in the life of others. No one really wants this war. But this war is being waged because of who we are and because of who we represent. Now, I remember World War II. I just recently watched the Netflix series on uh, the battle in the Pacific and then the battle in Europe that detailed war, World War II. And uh, America was very reluctant to enter into the war. In fact, it wasn't until uh, Pearl Harbor that we really dove in. And then, of course, we had to be on two fronts. We had to be in the Pacific uh, war, and then we had to be on the European continent. No one wanted that war, but Nazi Germany was running over Europe. Japan literally attacked our own forces. Nobody wanted that war, but only death and destruction in the battle would bring us to a place of peace. If we did not fight in that war, the world would be very different. If If Hitler had have had his way, if no one would have opposed him, if the imperial armies of Japan and the imperial navy of Japan had have had their way and nobody would have opposed him, nobody would have entered war, the world would, would be unrecognizable today. So no one wanted war, but war was necessary, and on the other side of war was peace. So I want you to kind of grasp that in your mind for a moment. It's the same with the gospel. Only death and damnation in lives will take place until we put on those shoes of peace and march forward. 
until we share the gospel with a lost and dying world. It's going to be lost. It's going to be dying. There's going to be spiritual bloodshed everywhere as well as physical bloodshed. So do you have your gospel shoes on? Are you in the battle for people's souls? Now, often uh, in, in our country especially, we tend to look at what's going on in the world and around us, and we tend to say, okay, this is a political problem. But all the moral, um, the moral, uh, looking for a good word for the abdicating of any moral values at all, the abdicating of any absolute truth at all, uh, it's a political battle. And what we've got to do is make sure we win that political war. But my response to that is there is a political war that goes on, and we need to be involved as salt and light in government. But there's nothing that's going on in this world that politics will fix. There's no politician that's going to solve our great problems. There is no president who is going to be elected. He will bring wholesale change to the way people think. Can we be better than we are? Absolutely. And I am very, very committed to that. But no other, no other strategy will be bring peace to America that the gospel will bring. Where's our confidence? Where was the confidence of Jesus? It was in the gospel. Where was the confidence of Paul to, to upturn, overturn Rome and the Roman Empire? In the gospel, in the church. When we make it our mission to bring the gospel to reach people's lives and to change lives, we win. We win. Are we praying for the lost around us? What if every believer, what if every class, what if every church, and there are 300,000 evangelical churches in America, last count, what if we all emphasized the gospel and shared the gospel in such a way that we really believed it would bring change to our world? That's what it means to put on the gospel shoes of peace that help us stand firm against all of the war of the enemy, all the battles that we wage. And this world will only be a better place when the gospel is heard and responded to. Now, obviously, not everybody's going to respond well to that, but I am just saying that's the only way to see changed lives. And when people change their allegiances from themselves or the enemy to Jesus Christ, they also change their political beliefs often. They change their perspective of life and how to be involved and how to help others. Jesus changes everything. And if Jesus changes everything inside of a person's life, then Jesus changes everything inside of a community and a family and a country. So it's really our business to put on the shoes of peace when it comes to the gospel. But here's another piece of this, and that is the shield of faith keeps us focused. So going into the shield of faith, again, it says, in addition to all, take up the shield of faith with, with which you will be able to extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. And without the, without the shield of faith, we'll stall and quit in this battle. And I've said something about the fiery darts of the wicked one uh, in an earlier episode, but I want to encourage you that that shield of faith uh, it's leather soaked in oil that extinguishes fiery uh, arrows. And in the same way, the spiritual shield of faith will quench all those fiery darts that attack you. Let me just ask you a series of questions as I, as I summarize what the shield of faith does. Do you have any doubts in your life about what God has said or what God is doing in your life? What doubts hold you back? What doubts paralyze you and keep you from moving forward? What doubts keep you quiet instead of urging you to speak up in key moments? What doubts keep you from leading well?
from serving well, from worshiping well. Because doubts began in the Garden of Eden, where the serpent said to Eve, has God really said? Then it's easy for us to doubt our validity or the potential we have in Christ. It's easy to doubt our church. What doubts are holding you back? Settle those doubts with the shield of faith. Quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. Here's another question. What desires sidetrack you? What desires sidetrack you? You know, the enemy is masterful at placing desires in us. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, it says, For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. I know that there are people who are not in battle. They're not actively following Christ or not actively walking with Christ because of one of these kinds of temptations and desires in their life. Something appeals to their flesh or their uh, physical desires. Something appeals to what they see that makes them covet and want that. And so they, they sidetrack or put on the back burner their walk with Christ in order to pursue something else that, think ha- that they, they think has value, but it does not have eternal value. And then the boastful pride of life. What thing about yourself uh, are you unwilling to die to so that you can follow Christ fully? What desire holds you back? It's not always an immoral or a malicious desire, but Satan's desire when he was Lucifer was just the desire to be elevated above devotion to God. He just wanted to be in a place where he called his own shots, where he was the master of the universe, where he was in charge as all-knowing, all-wise Lucifer, and God cast him out of heaven for that. So what desire holds you back, keeps you from walking with Christ? And then here's another one. What deceptions nag at you? What lies have you believed that have altered the course of your life? What false doctrine have you bought into that keep popping up, that keeps aggravating you? What feelings do you give way to instead of walking by faith? What fears sidetrack you that keep you from being bold in your obedience to Christ? These are deceptions that can be uh, caught with the shield of faith and extinguished with the shield of faith. Here's another question for you. What distractions are holding you back. You know, sometimes darts of the, of the wicked one elevate things of lesser importance in our lives. In other words, things that we're pursuing are not as important as the ones Christ has called us to. And distractions can be nagging thoughts that keep us from noble thoughts. I'll say that again. It's a great saying. I'm not sure where I got it. Distractions can be nagging thoughts that keep us from noble thoughts. That happens to me a lot. And I have to hold up my shield of faith and extinguish those. I'm easily distracted. I have to get back on track and think, what's the most noble thing I need to be thinking about right now? What's the most noble thing I should be pursuing right now? And if you're overwhelmed with unimportant pursuits or worries or concerns or unimportant talk, then then maybe you need to refocus by holding up that shield of faith. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 4, Paul says, No soldier in active duty entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. You can be too distracted to be effective in the battle we're in. What distractions do you need to set aside? And finally, what discouragement, what discouragement do you refuse to set down? 
The enemy wants us to lose heart. That's why it says in Galatians chapter 6, 9, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. And we're not supposed to lose heart in our tribulations. It's a long battle. There's much opposition. It's like a marathon race. And in that long race, there's a temptation to look elsewhere. But it's really important for us to fix our eyes on Jesus and the, the race he ran. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, it says, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Man, that's so important. I want to encourage you today to ask yourself the question about the doubts, the desires, the deceptions, the distractions, and the discouragement that represent fiery darts of the evil one and hold your shield of faith up and extinguish those because you need to be focused if you're going to win. And you need to be willing to walk into the war knowing that the war must be fought before the peace is gained. That's part of what it means to put your shoes on and hold your shield up. So as we uh, continue to walk through Life is War, this is the conclusion of this particular episode. Looking forward to you joining us again. Remember, life is war, and that's what prayer is for.